Sorry, I ordered mac and cheese on purpose. <laughs> There's something amiss with me, and Dr. Colbert's trying to help me with it. While your dislike of cheese certainly renders you a rarity among humans, I was not aware it was considered an actual disorder. Oh, no, no, it's not. Uh, um, I'm sorry. I'm trying new things because my comfort zone has become uncomfortable. Or too comfortable, unclear. Anyway, Dr. Colbert thought it might help if I shake things up a little. So last night, I slept with my pillow at the other end of my bed, and then I took the long way to the bridge this morning, and I was hoping I could uh, try out a little gardening by watering some of your plants. What is it you hope to gain from novelty? To be honest, I'm not sure yet. I do keep thinking about those cadets at the academy and just how certain they are that they are exactly where they're supposed to be, you know? And I used to have that. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me, touching the swamp kelp while it's in bloom, are Adam Bowen and Emily Bowen Marler. Welcome to Strange New Takes, where we're reviewing episodes in this strange new era of Star Trek. Today, we're covering the second episode. The third no, episode. No, we're not. We're covering the third episode of the... Is it the third episode? It is, it is the, third the third episode. episode. I'm, I'm yeah, bad at notes. It's the third episode <laughs> of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. And the name of it is Choose to Live. Well, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, you should follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, we're also on Facebook. And uh, do us a favor, tell your friends about our podcast. We love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. And finally, if you have a moment, go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating that really helps us out because it pushes up a little bit higher when someone searches for a Star Trek podcast to listen to. And uh, just as a warning a bit ahead, uh, we are going to spoil this episode. Uh, so if you haven't listened to it uh, or haven't watched it, uh, you should maybe pause, go watch it, and then join us. And if not, uh, I can't judge. Just just go ahead and join us. All right. Well, this week, as Emily mentioned earlier, we are discussing the episode Choose to Live. It's the third episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. It first aired in 2nd December 2021. It was written by Terry Hughes Burton and directed by Christopher J. Byrne. I don't think either of these two have made an appearance earlier in this season. These are these are writing and directorial debuts uh, for season four, I believe. Am I right, crew? Yeah, uh, because the familiar. first two, the the first two I know were directed by um, Olatunde Osunsami. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I so I was wondering if they were doing something like they did last season, where they had all the directors did two in a row. So I don't uh -huh. know. But the first two uh. episodes were both directed by him. So this is this is a first. The first episode directed by this person for this season. And I can season. also confirm that the writers for the previous two episodes were not Terry Hughes Burton. So good job, the two of you. Um, or we shall see when the rating comes out. Whether it's a good job or whether we have our pitchforks out and we're going to storm their homes and burn them down. Uh, don't do that. It's Star Trek, y'all. Um, all right. We always start uh, discussing our episodes with our strange new takes. So who's got a strange new take for me uh so i think i'll i'll just jump in uh i think so for the for real life uh if you're out there looking for a a sci-fi show that's like a nice just fun action adventure and you you don't like you're already watching all of star trek so you you just need something else to also watch uh i'm gonna recommend lost in space the the netflix adaptation it's just a lot of fun yeah, uh, I like it. There, there's plenty of like crimes against science and whatnot, but <laughs> uh, Star Trek does that too, y'all. So uh, <laughs> instead, if you want to have a just a strangely sexy robot that the internet just like can't get enough of, Lost in Space is what you need. Uh, for does it go Danger Will Robinson? Oh, it it does. Uh, oh, it's, good. Okay. Yeah, 
it it it, it it's got all the classic things uh except that it's uh not Way a better. really bad boring show in the 60s yeah um so uh for the episode all is forgiven about season or season four episode one uh if if all if that just like train wreck as far as i was as far as i was concerned gave us this the past two episodes and the rest of the season of them has them discovered the anomaly is actually like music and culver was an angel the whole time it'll still be okay you can't take season four episode three from me Oh my goodness. Sorry. Right when I was supposed to speak, one of my animals started scratching at the door. They're just going to have to wait. So my strange new take on life. A few weeks ago, I was cooking something with probably my child. I can't remember. Oh, oh yeah. I was making monkey bread. So it would have been right before, um, right before Thanksgiving. And I don't know what was wrong with me, but I spilled the cinnamon like two different times. Like, all over, like the lid off the cinnamon, like spilled all over the floor. So we use a dustbuster to clean it up. And now whenever I use the dustbuster, it's a very pleasant experience because it smells like cinnamon. <laughs> so I am just going to, I'm here to tell you all that you should dust bust up some cinnamon. And then when you're cleaning, it just kind of gives things around your house a nice smell. So that is my my tip for all of you. And my strange new take on the episode is, oh, Star Trek, it's so nice to see you. <laughs> I see, I see. I'm getting getting hints that this episode is going to get rated well by my co-host. So time for me to come in with the scythe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No sides, no sides. Um, I, I guess my, my strange new take is going to be about Akira Kurosawa, who I have seven middle names. One of them is Akira, after him, uh, because my dad was a big fan and my mother traveled to Japan when she was pregnant. Anyway, um, he is... One of those directors where I don't care how thick of a film fan you are. Like, I'm pretty thick. I don't understand the, like, subtle, like, Christopher Nolan does all this cool stuff. I'm like, I don't notice any of that stuff. Batmobile go pew pew is what I notice. So, but if you're like me, Kurosawa is one of those people where even his thematic elements that he includes in his movies, you can notice. Because they're really cool. He does wonderful things with cinematography. I think he's also one of the few directors who is also his own editor. So... What I'm going to recommend is that you watch Yojimbo, which I watched last night. Great movie. Illustrates a lot of his, the, the best of his stuff. You'll also see how it inspired A Fistful of Dollars later. Um, and then you watch um, a YouTube clip from this channel called Every Frame of Painting, which is about Akira Kurosawa's directing methods. Because that dude in, in that cha YouTube channel explains Kurosawa's brilliance really well. Again, to people who otherwise just notice explosions, such as myself. So <laughs> do that. That's my strange new take for you. Um, so you're kind of like Dumbledore then, with the number of middle names that you have. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Mm. Except, I'm going to have you know, to hear all of your names sometime, because that's awesome. I was wondering and, if and, it's one for each of the seven samurai. Yeah, yeah, and just in just a few of the like few years, I'm gonna betray both of you too. So, uh, anyway, um, well, I, uh, I I think with this episode, I remember a couple of episodes back, I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if they just completely forgot about the anomaly and did cool shit about putting the Federation back together? Well, here we are, um, and it worked according to the two of you and according to me. So good stuff. Uh, let's hear the episode description, the summary from uh, Memory Alpha. Burnham and Tilly hunt the killer of a Starfleet officer as Stamets and the science team race against the clock to prevent the anomaly from killing anyone else. All right. Uh, that also ignores the fact that, you know, Adira and Gray are working on their transformation using the Picard body technique. Infused with some... Um, uh, mystical elements uh, as well. So it, This sounds like some sort of weird massage thing, the Picard body technique, but... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind if Picard, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard gave me a massage, but he doesn't seem like the kind of person who does that very often. Uh, Not particularly. It, yeah, and his relationships, I bet he hired that task out. He's like, no, let's go to a spa, darling, and then, you know, become Sean Connery like he just did when I voiced <laughs> <Yes>. him. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's, let's jump into talking about the story and writing of this episode. Um, I think, Adam, you told me before we started recording that you want to talk about this plot by plot. So um, let, let's start with tracking down Javini, 
the Kawat Malat, who has gone off their rocker as such and murdered a Starfleet officer and then later murders one of her sisters. Well, she didn't technically. Oh, yeah. One of her mercenaries was the one. Because I think she was, it seemed to me when when she showed up, um, she was dismayed to see one of her sisters was dead. So at least that's the way I read it. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll give her some, we'll, we'll let President Tarina know that, that she regretted the death and then maybe they won't like, I don't know. They'll commute the sentence. They'll just extradite her to... Starfleet. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, so this tracking down plot, it's the A plot of this episode. We open with... The ninjas, uh, the Starfleet ninjas, uh, Star Trek ninjas coming in, attacking a Starfleet vessel. Yeah, I, and and honestly, I I got kind of excited when we that we opened up and it was like just a different ship. I uh, got some sort of the vibes of the um, that lower decks episode where we just like saw a different ship. So I was I'd like, oh, are we Wedge just going to see it? Yeah, or are we just going to see like different uh, different crews and see like how they do things? Not really, but uh, we saw a guy who's just a, like their first officer is an incredible badass. Like, uh, I mean, he he totally died, and he pro- maybe he shouldn't have fought the way that he did, but uh, <laughs> like he was able to hold his own against three Romulans, uh, which is no joke, especially if they're uh, like Coat Malat affiliated. Um, you know, I have to say though, I like with the first scene. I was like, um, yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> I just, I just, we're like, oh, we're getting to meet new, new people on a new ship. Um, I turned to Travis and I said, these people are all going to die. He was, like, he was literally wearing red. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, sorry on, to man. interrupt you. I just had to throw that there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that, uh, at least like once we sort of step, step back and like are now examining the, uh, sort of what happened on this ship. I think that this sets up a really cool mystery uh, for the episode where we just sort of have like, why steal something that's given away freely? And uh, I don't know, I, I feel like like so many times when I've seen Discovery like go into something that's like a mystery before, it feels like the only way that they have to deal with it is just sort of like misdirection that's constantly happening. Uh, and we we don't really get a lot of misdirection in this episode. It's just like it an honestly interesting mi- mystery that we spend the whole time trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And uh, at the end, I I think the conclusion that it 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 makes sense, like why she was doing those things that she did. Well, and it also didn't like. I had this fear at the very beginning of the episode that this was going to be a new baddie for the series and, or, you know, like, like this person, this, this new mystery was going to happen where this person was going and stealing thy lithium off of all these ships. And when they wrapped it all up in one episode, I was like, yes, thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. It it wasn't that Javini, like, uh, just loves to kill people and is like uh was just like getting getting real horny over off of off of killing starfleet officers and stuff like that wow. like that's i i feel like that was kind of the the vibe of uh of what what they ended up doing with the orions last time but or the the emerald chain sorry the emerald chain yeah i did expect it actually to be remnants of the chain that were doing that stuff so it was kind of a interesting experience that it wasn't mm-hmm. um i think Another, you know, I mentioned earlier how something I had mentioned two episodes ago came true in this episode and something I mentioned last podcast episode happened in this one, which is international relations on Star Trek. Yeah, this basically that opening scene leads us to a scene with Vance, Tarina, uh, President Berlack, um, Captain uh, Burnham. And I don't think there was anyone else in that room. I don't think Saru was there, for example. But Mm -hmm. and it's basically one of the underlying themes of this episode came through there, which is the desire for the president to um, treat Vulcan with a light hand or Navar, my bad. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a long time for me to adjust this Navar stuff, but that's, mm-hmm. that's, I have to. Um, and so to, with Navar, to take a lighter hand with Navar mm-hmm. and Burnham's discomfort with that. I really hope that the, again, you know, Emily, to your point, that there wasn't any creepy music when the president came on. I thought. No. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that the president is proven to be correct at the end of this season, and it's not like, <laughs> oh, and the president was wrong all along. We should have trusted Burnham. 
really hope not. But yeah, I yeah. was glad to see some complex real politics happening in this scene and then the later scenes and throughout the episode, basically. Well, and, well, I, and I, I, I think, um, like, your, your initial uh, thought, like, what, I think this was in, our, in the first, for the first episode, you talked about how you wanted to have that more international relations focus. I think that this is a good way to blend it in without it, like, getting, like, too boring or whatever. Like, we, we have, like, that is, like, please don't screw, create a diplomatic incident for us. And, like, here's the, com- the complex parts of, like, what's going on and, like, why this has to work. And that was, like, an exciting thing for us to be, like, worried about the entire time. Is like, okay, well, even if we we discover uh, Javini's motive and that uh, she's forgiven or something like that, how does that affect, like, are, is that going to upset the Federation? Is it going to upset uh, Navarre or things like that? Like, I, there was that, that sort of, like, uh, political intrigue tension that was happening throughout the episode, which I appreciated. Well, and I yeah. also, I, I feel like Burnham... Burnham is shifting in how she sees the president, I feel. Like, I did not feel that same. I mean, I think she's still, when she's thinking about, like, the political nature of things and how the president handles things, I think that still makes Burnham uncomfortable, and she's not really, she doesn't really like that. But I just did, I did not feel the same animosity toward her that she was putting off in the first episode. <laughs> like the first episode, she's like, I hate that president. Were you she lying? Were you lying? She didn't accuse the, the president of, of Googling Commander Fickett's family, like <laughs> yeah. right be, in the sentence before. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, great performance again by Shala Horsdal. Um, I think she is a great president. And I think the best compliment I can pay to her as an actress is that I didn't recognize her from her previous performance in Mm. the high castle. She is, I haven't seen her in other stuff like Rudy has, but I, she is under, like she is in character. And so it's fantastic. I'll say the same thing about Tara Rosling as uh, Tarina. I think they do a spectacular job throughout. Mm -hmm. And while I'm at it, Hey, why not? I'll also throw in a, in a shout out to Sonia Sohn, Gabriel Burnham. I think we've got three wonderful actresses in that scene mm-hmm. with Oded Fair and Sonico Martin Green. And so it was really like you a, a masterclass of acting. <laughs> it yeah, was, yeah. It this was. this whole episode, I was just thinking about like, damn, everyone is super good at this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, m- maybe yeah. maybe that's like bad acting for me to like notice the acting and like how good it is. I don't I don't know. The, someone no. can give me a <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's no, just it's not. <laughs> like uh, I was just like in almost every single scene, there was like a moment where it was like, shit, wow. Uh, and yeah. that was, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like for, uh, it, there's many criticism you can, you can levy against Discovery, but I don't think uh, bad acting is one of them. Criticisms you say. Well, um, I think one criticism I will lob here is a little bit, I, I'll talk a little bit about motivations later, both with Javini and with Burnham, which I thought were a little bit weaker than I thought that they could have been. But the one other thing that I I will take issue with right here is the president and that whole Burnham and her mother situation. In In the meeting itself, the president's like, and Captain Burnham is the natural choice. I forget the exact language used. Yeah. But it's basically like, yeah, of course Captain Burnham would do it. And then later, she's like, this won't be a problem for you, will it? Which is like, it kind of seemed a little unnecessary or I, I, I don't understand what they were going for when they had that. Because like, well, if you if you just selected her and said that she's the obvious choice, why would you then go and have to like question her about that? It's a little odd. So I got the feeling that no one knew that was uh, Burnham's mother until she said mom mm. in the scene. Like that, because like the way I don't know the way she said "mom," it was like I don't know. I felt like that was a revelatory moment for everyone. Like, oh, <laughs> this is Burnham's mm. mother. So that that was why I took it that way. Like I thought she, you know, wanted her to be in charge of the mission, but then was like, and then she's like, oh gosh, I didn't know this person I'm sending you with is your mother. Is this going to be an issue? It, interesting. Yeah. I, I... Which I, I guess seems a, a bit out of character for uh, the, the president to be unprepared because it, it seems like the president always knows everything about everyone that uh, they're dealing with. But, but that, I, that's also I, 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 I did get some of that, that feeling from you, too, that that it was um, it was supposed to be a surprise. I mean, I know that Tarina Ter- was in the room when uh, it was revealed that Gabrielle Burnham was was Burnham's was 
Michael Burnham. I'm like, I forgot the main character's name. <laughs> was it's Michael Captain Burnham's Burnham mom. to you? Captain, yeah, you're well, not on a first it, she wasn't basis. Captain. She wasn't Captain Burnham back then. She was commander. She was command. Yeah, because she was first officer at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. um, and she finally had a rank. Um, How do we feel about the return of the co-op Malak? I can't get enough of it. I I, I mean, at, at some point there will be a bad co-op Malak episode. But, but I don't think I don't think it's happened yet. Yeah, because uh, it, it's like from the very the very introduction where uh, I thought that we were going to go to uh, Space Rivendell and uh, like <laughs> just like meet the elves or whatever, which is what we uh, what the fourth episode of uh, Picard kind of looked like it was going to be from the the previews. That was a fabulous episode and had like some amazing world building, and I, I just feel like. The the Kuatmalat shine such an interesting light on Romulan culture, but especially now that Navarre is uh, like the melding of both Vulcans and Romulans, I think that they're an interesting uh, uh, sort of way of bridging that gap where they they do seem to have some amount of detachment of, of from emotions, but it's it's not it's not in the same way, and I I just. Um, I think that their philosophy is just a very interesting one to like kind of stick in the middle of everything. Well, and I super appreciate having some different kind of representation for Romulans. Like, mm. yeah, because Romulans have always just been the same. And that, I mean, Star Trek is just guilty of that, right? Yes, you yeah. know, each each species represents like a certain thing, and all of them fall into that, right? But this was I really appreciated having something different. Uh, if there's one thing we know, Star Trek is all about see how stereotypes are true and we should <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh well moving on. Uh we, we should we should we should check in with some other plots real quick before we come back to to this one. Um we the two other major plots here and I think we can basically get through the Adira and Gray plot in just a quick shot here because mm-hmm. I think it, it it's a pretty compact, self contained thing where um Grey Tal is or just Grey now. I don't think yeah. they're not great. Hal, he's not great. Hal, it's it's gray. Yeah, um, it's so. Yeah, and at least the computer labeled them that way. But it's it's also him. I, d- I thought I said him. Sorry. Uh, they uh, the computer labeled him that way, and it was a interesting. Um, I like they talked about the unjoining being successful, and I was a little bit uncertain. Like from all that language was like, is Tall not going to be part of uh, Adira anymore, or things like that? So, I, but I I do yeah. think that it's it's Adira Tall still, and now just Gray, um, right? Which I and guess this, is it's like there might be a second symbiont at some point. Okay. I wonder if they would. Um, oh yeah, because uh, Gray had talked about whether or not they could be joined again in the future. But I also, in some ways, though, Gray. Well, I guess I don't know. Would how would that be? Would Gray still carry some of the memories of Tall since you know he did have Tall for he was joined with Tall for a while? You know what I mean? Anyway, that's the only thing. See, I seems was like interesting questions that that will come up in the future and that we'll have to yeah. deal with. Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the things that I so the reason I mentioned the pronoun thing earlier, Adam specifically, is because it was a discussion on the Star Trek Discovery subreddit about mm-hmm. pronouns. And, you know, like a lot of us have have pushed towards gender neutral language just in general. Um, yeah. <clears throat> partner versus girlfriend or boyfriend, things like that. And I think they has come up as both a chosen pronoun for some people, such as Adira in the TV show, or um, as a gender neutral word. And what I, I was not aware of until I read this thread is that there are some trans folks who specifically want you to use a gendered pronoun and feel that it's kind of erasure of their new gender identity mm-hmm. or chosen gender identity, mm-hmm. rather, to use a gender neutral uh, pronoun. It gets a little complicated. And again, you know, as with most things in life, as long as you're being respectful, people will tell you if you've done something that they would like you to correct and they won't be mean about it. <laughs> But uh, just something that I I wanted to just mention here in the pod because it was it was something that I thought was interesting and for Gray specifically on the show um, uses he him 
pronouns. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, the interesting thing here is it's a little different since Ian Alexander, the actor, uses both he, him, and they, them. They, them, yeah. So oh, okay. it's, it's, it's a little bit of a kind of a fine line there that we should, we should uh, be aware of. Um, but getting, getting back to this, um, I, I do like that space religion can work over a hololink. Hey, I well, and also the whole I can't I I I can't feel his presence anymore. Whatever he said, I was yeah. like, how can you even feel it in the first place? You're a hologram. You're like thousands of miles away, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, some of that felt like a did, did the writers forget that this is a hologram and then they <laughs> remember it in other parts, <laughs> like. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, um, well, we, but you know, this is this is like the the Bill directive of old, where Bill's like, "Don't think too hard about Star yeah, Trek." Yeah, yeah, definitely. The Apollos, you you can't transmit smell. You can transit transmit faith. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Okay. Um, anyway, uh, it was it, I, I thought the the I mean. I don't know. I there was never a world in which Gray didn't wake up. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, this is yeah. in Game of Thrones, where like the main character dies in season three, <laughs> so or in episode three. So like there wasn't a world in which Gray didn't wake up. So I was kind of I guess the whole uh, plot of Adira being torn up about it. I think gave us a chance to explore Culber. As ships, mm -hmm. explicitly as ship's counselor, he yeah. gets called out as ship's counselor by Saru. So the fans get what we've been clamoring for for so long. Now he is explicitly performing that function. Yeah, and uh, honestly, uh, he's so good at it. Like it's it's such a uh, I, I'm believing like every every moment where it, that's happening, and it I I like that they're. Um, sort of the explicit calling out of that like platitudes aren't always like the, the obvious ones we always reach for of like oh well you'll you'll always remember them in your heart or like it's mm -hmm. the the good times uh, and and stuff like that like i i like the acknowledging that like shit can just be bad and there's there's no way around it and so like the thing that we've got is well we are here too and we can help you um mm -hmm. And it's, um, I, I don't know, I, I feel like so often Star Trek is kind of re reaching for like the easy solution to a lot of things. And they don't do that when they're, uh, when they have the ship's counselor present. And I, and I think that is a, a good choice. One thing that I thought was a little strange, <clears throat> though, would, and, and although we didn't actually see Colbert do this, mm -hmm. so it's not really, I don't know, it's the writers, um, was having Tilly try all these new things. I feel like that was just because to give a comedic slant to the episode, because I, I was thinking like, so Tilly's feeling a little lost and I think also just suffering from trauma because they're mm -hmm. all suffering from trauma and um, unsure of her path or just not, you know, she's just not feeling, um, I don't know. It just seemed like a, I, I thought it was strange that, that that his suggestion to her was, why don't you try things that are outside of your comfort zone? I don't know. It just seemed weird. It just seemed like a reason to have something funny in the episode rather than, um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what it was. I would have liked to have seen the conversation between mm -hmm. the two of them mm -hmm. to discover why it was that he had her doing that because it just felt weird for Tilly to be like spitting out her macaroni and cheese and then like, oh, you know, Dr. Culver told me to do <laughs> anyway. Like, I don't know. That was the only thing about the episode that I, w I just thought, I, I mean, I went with it and it was fine, but it just, it just seemed so strange at the very beginning because I, the conversation that Tilly and Culber had in the first episode was it the first episode where she said she wanted to talk with him I think like she wanted to have yes. a meeting with him first episode of the season <clears throat> and so that made me want to see that conversation or yeah. at least see that uh, you know whatever that interaction was or how that kind of played out and obviously I don't need to be in, in all their counseling sessions but <laughs> I just wanted to see see how that started and, and I think I just felt a little cheated because we didn't get that we just got her sitting down with Saru and saying, "Oh, I'm supposed to try things outside of my comfort zone." Yeah, that, that's a that's a fair point because we we have 
like we've seen little snippets of him having uh sort of counts mini counseling sessions with people like as they're walking or like hanging out in the cool ass uh 32nd century 10 forward uh and it's like each of those conversations even if they're very short have been really interesting to watch so like even just for the I bet it was something cool that he said to her <laughs> is like a, is, is worthwhile. I, for, for me, at the very least, I liked that um, we're, we're getting something of an explanation behind or, or like sort of this new insecurity that Tilly is feeling that it's something explicitly that the character is going through and that is working on dealing with. Cause I feel like we've, we've reached for uh, Tilly as the comedic relief in previous seasons. And it's been kind of a like, Oh, haha, she's awkward. But I, I like that. We're starting to think about like, okay, well she seems to become more awkward when things are getting really hard for her. And like, let's try to help her out. And so it, it's sort of at least um, it made me appreciate what she was going through a little bit more. Yeah, I think for me, I, I drew the line from, you know, Burnham moving in with her and she has her like, uh, what is it? Like the, the, the her side of the room. And yeah. She has all these strong preferences. Special pillow and yeah. And I mean, I, I, I'll, I guess some of this is some self-identification maybe on my part where I have found myself becoming someone who enjoys his comfort zones a little bit more and has to force himself to like get out of them to, mm-hmm. to generally experience more comfort with new things and adapting to new things in general. So maybe there was a sense that I kind of saw a little bit of what I've experienced in mm-hmm. what was happening there. So I was mm-hmm. able to, whereas maybe... Like you're saying, Emily, the ordinary viewer would benefit from having more. Because um, that was, I mean, also this thing with Tilly was three seasons ago. You know, the Tilly we've seen in the last two seasons is not the Tilly we're seeing right now. Right. Yeah. So so a little bit of connecting the dots, I think, could have helped mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the part where... Where I was a little confused, maybe, is is definitely the why watering plants is outside her comfort zone. Because it seems like something Saru has trusted her to do before. Because <laughs> she knows what she's doing there. So, yeah. but either way, uh, I think I think I was just while we're on the topic, I I enjoy Saru Tilly conversations immensely. So the one that they had in the mess hall was was really was nice. Uh, appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I I like how they're. Um, they're giving Saru more alienness in ways that aren't just on the predator prey fear dynamics that they like that they leaned on so much in the first couple of seasons mm-hmm. uh because it like that there's there's like basic things where he's like why why are you saying this to me oh it's a compliment thank you for the compliment <laughs> yeah and, and also did you see how when he came up with the like we have a saying on Kaminar it wasn't yeah. like some saying from around earth that they've just like there's an old Klingon proverb to be or not to be or whatever like it's not like you know says something fished out from human literature it was actually something specific to Kaminar uh, I I think there I think there is a saying about riding a horse with two buttocks though or with really? one <laughs> pair of buttocks I, I it sounded familiar to probably something degree. Genghis Khan said and now yeah. like it's gonna come and bite me in the ass after I said that just now that I give them some credit uh, yeah it, it, it is at least better that it's not uh there's no Tarkalian hawks uh like he said a dip he did I don't think he said veil beasts before so it's there's not just like the one note okay. from characters <laughs> Well, at this point, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about more of the the Javini situation and Samitz's mission on Navarre. They're Ebronians, the last of their kind. Their biomatter has high concentrations of latinum. It's what the grave robbers wanted. And the Ebronian who wears your cloak was special to you? Taglonin. I didn't know him. That doesn't matter. Going as fast as I can. I was traveling through the star system. Suddenly, I felt love, community, family, and suffering. It was as if someone was calling out to me, begging me for help. The telepathic distress signal was from Taglonin. There was no one else in range. His people were under attack. 
accepted his cause as my own. This was not the path I expected, but this is where I'm needed. I promised that as long as I was breathing, no further harm would come to them. The carvings on the wall suggest the Abronians traveled here while in cryosleep. And this planet that we're orbiting was meant to be their new home. And when they wake, I will make sure they claim it. The dilithium was necessary. Why? If they were supposed to be here, why move them? You know about the gravitational anomaly near this sector. Yes, we do. Without the dilithium, I wouldn't have been able to move the Ebronians to safety if it had come this way. If you had asked, we would have given you the dilithium. I did ask. Starfleet doesn't dispense dilithium to individuals. They would have wanted the name and location of the species Giovanni was representing. And you couldn't risk the Ebronian safety by asking on their behalf and revealing their existence. Killing your officer was never my plan. But his death was not in vain. I believe that the Ebronians were meant to wake a long time ago. And there's no logical reason why they would have remained in cryostasis after their arrival. So I have to conclude that there was some kind of failure in the cryosystem. So if we fix the problem and help them wake, your oath be fulfilled. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been talking about identifying hawks. Adam, you are a expert in ornitho ornithology. 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 Are you? Are you? Not? I, I, I like looking at birds. They delight me, and so I accidentally memorized uh, a variety of uh, species and how to identify them. So. He used Often to pretend to be a bird me. when he was a kid, when he was little. It was really cute. He would Aww. be an emu, and he would, like, walk around and, like, move his head like an emu, and he'd come over. And then sometimes he'd pretend he was a lovebird. He'd come over and rub his head against our arm and stuff when he was little. It was, it was pretty sweet. I, <laughs> he, uh, has to, he had to eat ladybugs. He would get little those little bacon bit things. Oh, okay. Uh, Not like the at, actual bugs. No, no, no. no I didn't like actually he, eat ladybugs. He was, he was a kid, so he's a picky eater. And so this waitress brought him a thing of, like, bacon bits and said it was ladybugs and so he ate those because he figured as a bird he would eat ladybugs that's <laughs> fantastic yeah. i uh and and now as an adult uh owning three chickens i can confirm that often i catch myself uh, doing chicken type uh, uh behaviors just because it's fun to look at your animals and uh see them or try to like mimic them in order to communicate with them <laughs> That's why you were pecking at me the other day when you were upset. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's let's go back to talking about choosing to live with uh, the. Let's start with the the Stamets book plot. We got more of this unlikely duo, uh, book choosing to to head over to Navarre despite knowing it might be traumatic, getting his trauma resolved with a mind meld. Yeah. Yes. I was so excited about a mind meld. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that that was, um, and it, like the, the, there were definitely like parts of that scene where they they like definitely took shortcuts in terms of like why is the president the one with them and why is the president the one giving him like the mind meld and and but like I think it's it's okay to not introduce like seven more characters just so that we can have everything be like slightly more believable. Um, so I was I was okay with most of the shortcuts they took in the, in this episode. Um, I, and I, I will say I, I like this pairing of book and Stamets that yeah. we've built up over the past couple episodes. Cause it, it's a, um, I mean, I, I know Star Trek has kind of has loves the classic, like logic versus, uh, emotions dynamic, uh, like set it up with Kirk and Spock and bones, but it's a, um, I, I, I think it's just working really well here and it's, it's really nice to see like we know that Stamets does care about people and is like concerned with how other people are doing. It's just that like he has, he is not able to access that a lot of the time. So it was touching to, to see him th try to like prevent book from uh, sort of reopening the wounds because he's wanting to protect him. Uh, like the, like I can't bring up the science or I can't bring the scientists, these scientists up to speed without a clinical forensic discussion of your loss. And um I don't know. I, I just I appreciate seeing a more aware Stamets also going outside of his comfort zone. And uh, it's I think Book is just a compelling character right now, like as he is trying to 
figure out how to help, even though he doesn't have the expertise yeah. in order to be able to do anything right now. I am personally very glad that we will not see Leto running around for the rest of the season. At the end, he becomes <laughs> a incarnation of God ending the universe. And Leto has been causing the... You laugh! That was the plot of Mass Effect that, 3. Yes, and I, I did uh, see that at the end of this episode, they, they turned him into smoke, just like in Mass Effect 3. So. I was pretty glad. I hope he stays smoke, like, love Leto yeah. on the screen. We've had enough. Let's move on. Great way to end that, like... I, I was genuinely just happy with them tying a bow on it. And it was touching. Like, he looked back. That was the thing that mm -hmm. Book needed to make himself feel better. Um, yeah. That was, that was touching. That was touching. And, 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 it, and it felt like a, a thing that Star Trek doesn't always do because it, um, it it feels like a lot of time you go back to, like, the mind mill and you realize, like, wait, there was a secret message that Leto was trying to tell me. Or, like, now I know that Leto is actually alive because of something in my mind meld. It was just, like... I can forgive myself or I can free myself from, from this guilt because I, I know that my family knew that they, that I loved them. Well, and, and like, he also didn't, his mind meld didn't reveal the thing that he missed that could have saved them. Like, yeah, I was yeah, glad it, they didn't do that. Yeah. It, it, it was, I, I think it's, it's nice that we, we have things that can happen in, in these episodes of discovery that aren't just plot focused. It can just be that, this character learned something about themselves or it helped them process something. Yeah. And it's okay if it doesn't do any, have anything to do with like the anomaly or whatever. The I anomaly. wanted to jump back. DMA. And, um, <laughs> I wanted to jump back to uh, Stamets and book because the thing I, I appreciate how they set it up last episode mm -hmm. and kind of had to pay off this episode. So mm -hmm. um, the thing they have in common is, not being able to be the ones to save their family. Now, um, mm. Stamets fortunately had Book who was able to save his family, right? Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, so, um, but I feel like Stamets in is in um, in some ways almost feels beholden to book for that but mm. not in a resentful mm. way anymore yeah but in a in a i want to extend as much care to you as i can in this situation kind of way um because obviously he can't bring his family back like that yeah you know i mean there's nothing he can do there but he doesn't want to be any source of further wounding or um yeah. you know i mean like he you could tell he felt he was just devastated when the president said I didn't see, you know, yeah. there there was no presence of Tachyon. Stamets was devastated, not because his, I don't feel like he was devastated in that moment because his theory couldn't be proved, but because he didn't want uh, Book to go through unnecessary trauma or re-traumatization, you know. And, mm -hmm. but fortunately, Book was like, no, no, this was, you know, this is what I needed to see. Yeah, um, which I, I also want to give a, a shout out to uh, having, like, showing like some of the like absolutely boring parts of science and like one of the, the basic like the very basics of like science that that people do and like that can be a compelling plot point is like someone has a hypothesis but it's not quite working and so they then try to test the hypothesis and then it's disproven and like that's the that's like one of the major plots of the episode and, like i i love it like i'm just impressed that they were able to to do that um and i i feel like um, so much of Discovery has been kind of paying lip service to like math and science without like mm -hmm. honestly it hasn't seemed like uh, especially seasons one and two didn't seem like they had any they weren't trying uh, and it feels like uh, I mean I know that they have a science consultant that I think joined in season three uh, this season is really I'm feeling a lot of influence from her I mean maybe I'm just attributing it to it uh, that I now that I know there is one so I'm like seeing it but it's uh, I I like them actually showing the mechanics of it versus just being like, math is fucking awesome and like uh, high fiving each other because like we said some techno babble to to each other. Fun fact. Now I can't remember her name. I can't remember if it's Catherine or Kate or something. Doctor, whatever. I want to say it's like Doctor Kate. I'm going to say that just because I want to be able to tell the story. So forgive. You know, I'm sorry to the science consultant on Discovery. I think she may also be on Lower Decks. But there's an ep there's a scene in Lower Decks where um, they're doing something and you can hear uh, what's his face. Um, oh gosh, uh, Bajoran. I'm totally forgetting people's names because it's too many new Star Trek shows all at the same time. Um, but the Bajoran security guy, 
you know, who on Lower Decks. I can't think of his name. Oh, anyway. uh, Shax. Uh, Shax, Shax, thanks. Uh, so he goes, Dr. Doctor Kate says we can't do that or something. Like, it's in the midst of the chaos on this scene. <laughs> but he made some kind of, like, they were trying to do something. And anyway, there was a nice shout out to her on it. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, I'm going to try to find the name of this uh, sign because I, can, I know what you're talking about. She's, I've heard her interviewed before. So. Yeah, she's a PhD just, and very excited to be on um, on the show. Uh, yeah, there was a great interview with her on um, the, the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast. That right, I, I just, I've been burning through all of those the past couple of weeks. Dr. Aaron McDonald. Aaron, mm, yes, Dr. That's right. Aaron, sorry, sorry. It wasn't Kate. My apologies. Yep, she she does like Catherine Janeway, uh, really and does. that Definitely. was one of the uh, the motivations for her growing up. So there you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, let's 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 jump into docking. So I think I think now all that's really remaining for us to do is talk about how the Javini plot unfolds. Um, essentially, tracking her to her last known coordinates, and mm-hmm. then finding the way into the derelict um, colony ship, basically. Um. I'll 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 start with this so that we don't end on it, uh, which is that I think, you know, we've established the idea of the lost cause. It's, I I think it's a little mm-hmm. hokey to be honest, but what in Star Trek is not hokey? So like, <laughs> you know, like if, if yeah. we're gonna give the Kavad Malad something hokey, the lost cause is at least an interesting thing. Like they they drop everything for a lost cause, mm-hmm. um, and so the lost cause here for me felt like a motivator it was kind of cool like okay this person's got to save the ship but at the end of the day i did not buy the reason to have to kill a starfleet officer to steal a dilithium the the leap that burnham makes is too simple for Giovanni for me not to have made on her own just like they're at the planet i can wake them up now and or or to have some form of you know I could understand this whole of fear of bureaucracy and like, okay, maybe if I go to Torina, I might not be able to secure enough Dalithium or whatever. But like, it, it just, I guess the whole motivation to move that plot to make this person a murderer rang a little hollow to me. So uh, I think p- part of how I was like thinking through this to, to like make myself more comfortable with it is I, I think the reality is that um Javini is a Kuat Malat nun so like super super uh trained in like lots of martial arts type stuff uh also very like good at radical candor and whatnot but doesn't necessarily have like the expertise to really know a lot about this alien culture so um I think probably what happened is that there was no way for her to figure out that it would that they hadn't that the reason that they did, hadn't woken up was because of a fault that could be resolved relatively simply by a Starfleet officer, and uh, the, the, like since we're post burn, she probably knows enough about dilithium and like the importance of it to warp engines that mm-hmm. like maybe that's just a in the thirty second century everybody kind of knows about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I, I think I can I can get at least why she's obsessively like working on getting the securing the delight dilithium so that she can help the like them escape if they need to, um, and I think that the rigidity of their practice is kind of what leads us to the her murdering people is because they're they're like so hard like uh, there's that scene in Picard where I, I think it's uh, it's something like if, if you come to like arrest me and like take me away from from this thing I will kill you uh mm-hmm. so it, it's sort of a um which now i'm getting mixed up with with mass effect as well because of the, <laughs> <laughs> the justic cars they have the exact same thing so probably they're just watching lots of mass effect and then <laughs> writing these episodes but uh it's uh i think that th- those two things put together make her motivation make sense for me but uh i, I can definitely get where you're coming from of like but why didn't you just like leave and not kill the dude? Yeah, it's I mean, and again, this is not like a 
episode breaking problem for me. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those things that I think when you put characters in a difficult position and it's supposed to move the plot along, you want those motivations to be a little bit tighter, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Another one that I'll quickly point to is Burnham being so upset about a Starfleet officer dying. Like, I get why it would be upsetting, but to be the cause of all of this tension later whether the president is letting this person go i mean as yeah. a starfleet officer you've seen other jurisdictions have authority over crimes and it, it should make sense to you that this is happening um and i, I don't know maybe if you know like you were saying adam sometimes they introduce characters to kill them and one of the benefits of having a character around who then gets killed later like we've seen burnham interact with this commander maybe and like be like i have yeah. these kids and burnham these are very nice children and then, yeah, then yeah. he dies um could motivate a little bit more i think in terms of that but again not an episode breaker for me but i felt no. well i uh, the thing i felt was that burnham really seemed to have some Oh, for lack of a better word, compassion for w why it was that Javini did what she did and wanted that to be wanted that to be a consideration when they were deciding what to do with her, when they brought mm -hmm. her back to Starfleet headquarters or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever. The HQ is what it's called. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it sounds so weird for us to HQ. say HQ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, when but anyway so she she seemed to want that to be taken into consideration so mm -hmm. it seemed a little weird for her to be so mad that they allowed her to go back to navarre because so i was like uh but you pretty much just said let's take this into consideration and maybe well, not it, punish her I, quite as hard that, that at least <laughs> that goes into the into character for burnham of like no i need to be the one that is the solution for everything and <laughs> yeah, i'm upset that I'm not the reason that she's going to get off. It's because you just politically want her to. <laughs> I, I, I do think there was a little bit, like you're saying, Emily, that they just wanted to put a lot of things, elements in there, and some of those kind of contradicted one another. But again, mm -hmm. let's now that we've got that out of the way, let's go to the fact that this was an Alien of the Week episode, which mm -hmm. yeah. is great. We've not had one of those in Discovery for quite a while. I really enjoyed it. Or we've had them, but it's been like, and these aliens of the week were actually in the original series at episode one. Yeah, yeah. It 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 does feel nice to have a a start have Star Trek like we can just make up a brand new alien and it's okay. Um and I I also like that they, they tied it in like that they have uh like concentrated or concentrated uh, uh latinum within their bodies, which mm. at least like if you've watched lots of like Deep Space Nine, like you get a, an idea of like Mm, that's that could be bad if uh like there's just like a bunch of them laying around in their their sleeper caskets like uh people might want to rob them of uh yeah that and it's captain ransom from uh, voyager is over to like <laughs> harvest these aliens yeah uh so yeah it, it's i i thought it was a it was an interesting setup i i did have a, a momentary bit of confusion when we saw uh Javini's cloak draped over one. I was like, wait, are these shapeshifters? Is this not actually Javini? Is that like, <laughs> that, is that our solution to the mystery of like, why would she steal something that's free? It's like, it's been an alien the whole time. No, no, no. It's just, <laughs> I guess you drape your cloak over the person that is your lost cause. And that's like part of the ceremony. Hmm. Interesting. Is that, part, is that actually part of the ceremony? I, yeah. I think that, that that's part of the, uh, what the explanation was when uh, Gabrielle like saw them was like, oh, uh, this is this is her lost cause. But why is she still doing this if he's dead? Um, but mm, then it mm. was revealed that it's there's the whole species is still there and still yeah. alive. Cool design on the on the ship, by the way. Cool design. We didn't. I I appreciated that we didn't have the like scene of a body inside a, inside the like sleeper pod which we've seen in every other star trek where mm -hmm. someone finds a pod with some dust they clear off and there's a face in there what <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. it was it's kind of it's it's a good set design um i enjoyed it i enjoyed the that kind of weird honeycomb engine uh the scene up top on the control room was i think paced really well so uh, yeah it, it was pretty it was good execution on the concept yeah and and i think that um something else that's interesting is like I think this is maybe one of the the few instances where, like, I can actually draw a thread of, like, oh, like, the way that, um, like, who Burnham is as a 
as a character, I need space to say a specific Burnham, who Michael Burnham is, what we know about her from her background, is a xenoanthropologist. And it makes sense to me that a xenoanthropologist would be able to quickly diagnose, like, hey, what is actually wrong on this ship? Mm. And then, like, so I was able to, like, buy that Burnham was able to solve this problem so quickly in a way that... um I feel like a, a lot, several of the other episodes, it's just sort of like, well, Burnham's a, a huge super genius and can figure out anything really quickly. Um, but so this th- was in her wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. This was in, in her wheelhouse, and I, and I thought it was um, it was just cool getting to see that a bit. Yeah, I think I also enjoyed how Tilly was able to play a, a role in that situation mm-hmm. without it being some sort of gimmicky kind of thing either everyone everyone in that whole scene had a function and there was a minimum a minimum of cliche and gimmicks involved yeah which i was definitely worried about that since we're sort of like oh setting up tilly to be the the tactical officer like that she's gonna do a lots of lots of like dumb fumbly things which i mean she did do uh, occasional bits of them like dropping the weapon or whatever but uh once they were actually in the ship it would Tilly was the perfect person to be there because she has yeah. so much experience with warp engines. And uh, I, I I guess the, the other thing that I want to point out is like, uh, I love that the tricorders now are like integrated into the communicators where uh, it's like, it's so, it's much more interesting to be able to see a character like react and then throw up a bunch of displays of like what the thing is that they're being alerted about mm-hmm. uh, rather than like having to, like having the actors like describe what's happening on their flip phone. And I, I think it's just like a, it's a cool thing that the technology is allowing us to do um, storytelling wise. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last thing for me is just, it's going to take me a while to get over and really there's no option here, but the fact that uh, that Really, it's just these like elements of discoveries, fumbles in the past that still continue with us. Like the fact that Burnham's mother is still with us and like, you know, at least Spock's gone now. And all of these (laughs) weird things that they did in the first three seasons that, you know, could have just been other elements. So it just, it, I don't know. It's just a little bit hard to deal with, but I think as time goes on, it'll get a little bit easier to mm-hmm. to just understand be like okay this is just the way it is it's it, we've got to move on and um i think this episode went a long way for me to really make my peace with gabriel burnham being a romulan nun because <laughs> um, it's just it's just what happened it's fine it's okay like it's fine yeah. i don't have to think about the red angel i don't have to think about season two at all <laughs> i can just move on uh and and i thought it was her presence as Burnham's mother there added some function and tension to this episode compared to if it was a random Romulan nun number 558 that we've never mm-hmm. met before. You know? Yeah. So well, that's why ha- having Burnham, the two Burnhams together, because, you know, her mother said, uh, you were the perfect person to be on this mission because I didn't, I wasn't sure I'd be able to bring her back and I knew yeah. you would make me, you know? So I just thought that yeah. was kind of, I liked that too. Well, For and, sure. And I, I, I think that there's also it helps that we saw uh, Gabriel Burnham uh, show up in that episode in season three and like show us like, OK, yeah, it is completely bizarre and kind of dumb that we made her a Romulan nun. But like it was it led to such interesting conversations in that episode. And like ha- like they have a really cool dynamic going on now um, yeah. that I so, I, yeah, I, I, I like it's it's a weird shoehorny thing, but like. Uh, it's the execution is cool enough that I'm allowing it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, any other final pieces of this episode that we want to touch on before we move on? Oh, it was in- sorry, I I apologize for interrupting. But did y'all notice Unquarks the bar that Culber and Saru are meeting in, which is bar the, the barkeep is a is a Ferengi. There's a Lorian oh. sitting in one of the cubbies. Oh, really? And it has darts. I noticed, I noticed oh, yeah. the darts. Yeah. I didn't notice the other two things. I'm going to have to go. I l- even watched it twice. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. Is there is there a Dabo table there, too? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there might be. Everyone's wearing a Starfleet uniform, so both the Lorian and the Ferengi are both Starfleet. Yeah. Um, but it, it was... I, 
that was one of those things that I was like instantly like that, that, that's, yeah yes I, I did I did spot the the Ferengi but I didn't see the Lurian that's hilarious okay sorry for interrupting you Emily oh no I was gonna say this was an interesting episode in that we never saw the bridge um, true you know like mm. all of the action took place in different place in different parts of the ship I have to say I was kind of getting a I don't know if this is fair to say this but. I was almost getting a Captain Janeway vibe from um, from Captain Burnham, mm. just in mm. the going around the ship and checking in with people. Like I felt like that was something that Captain Janeway did sometimes. Yeah, you know, she just would kind of—I don't know—you just would see her in other parts of the ship, not because she was summoned always, but I don't know. I just there was yeah. just something about it. I was like, I just felt like it was the there was just a touch to it that was like this is what. And I know we don't need to make things binary, but women bring different different elements to leadership positions than men yeah. do. Mm. Um, and so I just, I thought it was nice to see it was, there was, it was just a woman's touch and how she was, um, how she was being a captain, you know, and how she was, I have this weird bug flying around my head anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I just appreciated that. And I, I liked how she was checking in with Stamets and she was checking in with yeah. different people. But. I, I, I think, I mean, I, that makes it like we started we started her character off, I mean, I guess even plot-wise, like, more in a Spock direction of mm-hmm. where she, like, she doesn't really connect with people very well and is just, like, very by the book all the time. And the season three and into season four has taken her into that more, like, warm, yeah. uh, uh, emotional arc. And, and I mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, it's at least a, I like that we've seen that transition and that uh, it seemed relatively smooth to me. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just maybe think of something else. I was listening to Delta Flyers, the it's the podcast mm. with um, uh, Robbie McNeil, Robbie Duncan McNeil, and Garrett Wong. Mm-hmm. Um, they were talking about I can't remember which one said it. One of them said that uh, Kate Mulgrew had to redo lots of scenes because they wanted her to have less emotion. Like her instinct was oh. to play it with more emotion, and they mm. wanted her to dial it back. Because, and I think, and it's a totally sexist thing. It's like, because women can't show emotion because the women are seen as being, you know, overly emotional. And so we don't, we want to show that we can have a captain that isn't overly emotional. Who cares if your captain is emotional? Like, I think that's a good thing if your captain can have compassion and can, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and that, I really appreciated that about Burnham in this episode. I just felt like she had extraordinary empathy and, um... And I just, I just really liked that. I thought that was a great aspect to her character this episode. Yeah, I, th- I think we've unleashed her uh, to, like, in this this season especially, much more than like maybe that the whole point of the rest of the series has been sort of setting Burnham up to be this character. Mm-hmm. But, well, they did uh, say that. I think the intention has always been that Burnham was going to be captain. Yeah, they have there said some, that. Yeah, in the ready room, they talked about that. Can I also point to the fact that this scene, this episode didn't have very special moments where everyone was like, where this, the music swelled and everyone just stopped and they heard you. They listened to the clap in the back. I also heard it. I also heard a moment where there was no music at all. So uh, yeah, the composer is, is listening to this, these episodes that we're putting out. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, I'm starting to now pay attention to who's writing episodes and directing them and how, if that affects some of this at all Mm. like i want to know what where some of this stuff is originating because it's it's definitely i mean like you were saying adam things have changed since the first episode of the season so i'd like to know where some of that's coming from Mm -hmm. uh i find it very easy to point the blame at alex kurtzman who was involved in episode one as a writer so but at the same time he's given us a lot of cool stuff in new track too so we'll see um any other final notes on this episode before we move on to ratings doesn't sound like it so let's let's move on to strange new ratings which one of you would like to stick your neck out and give choosing to live a rating i never go first so i'll go first do it this is going to be so we've never done picard right Mm -mm. we've only Mm -hmm. done lower decks and discovery on this show Mm -hmm. um this is the second episode of discovery that i'm going to give a perfect score to Ah. i'll give this five out of five I just really enjoyed it. I thought it hit all the things that I'm looking for in my Star Trek. It was actually crammed full of stuff, but didn't feel frenetic like a lot of episodes yeah. of Discovery do. Mm. Um, I didn't. I wasn't stressed out by this episode. Um, I just. I was along for the ride. 
Um, And so I just, I really enjoyed it. I liked, I liked the character moments in it. Um, I thought, you know, they, they accomplished a whole lot with this episode without me feeling like I was on a whirlwind ride Mm -hmm. at the end of it. So I just really appreciated it. Well, I'm gonna I'll jump in and and uh, let Adam finish us out. Um, I, I'm gonna give this a seven on ten. It's not necessarily one that I'll probably return back to on my own. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Adam. You're like sh- looking shocked right now. <laughs> yeah, both I of made us the just same have our, face. I just yeah, made it for a shorter Mouser. time. <laughs> I, it's, Mouser, it's fine. Just I, I just. I don't know. It just might be a fundamental break between me and Discovery that is just irreconcilable. I think some of this just might be because of some of the thing mistakes that they made early on. And I, mm. but at the same time, I think I am also not going to give Discovery the benefit of the doubt because they're just the sh- little show that could, and they're getting better since their problems. So I, I, I don't think I would. I could give this a higher than a seven. I, I thought it was all right. It was a good episode, not bad at all. But Travis is kind of the same. He, I think Travis felt the same as you, Notch. So you know, I, I, I was, I didn't, I wasn't as shocked as Adam for as long. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, Adam. Go ahead. That's why I won't let you finish. Uh, this one gets a ten. We've all, all right. just watched the best episode of Discovery. Uh, okay. I like. I, I think I would. This is even though Discovery is so like serialized. I think that maybe with like a bit of an exp- explainer. I think this is a good episode to to show as like one of the like this is what Star Trek is, um, mm. and so I yeah this this I love this episode. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, well, dear listener, if you have opinions on choosing to live, fair enough for you to share them with us on social media. Uh, you know where to where to hit us up. We'd love to hear what you thought of of this episode and whether you want to throw rocks at me or throw rocks at Adam. Don't throw any rocks <laughs> at Emily. Um, and yeah, we, we we'd love we'd love to hear what you think. But at this point, it's time for me to to bid everyone goodbye. So first of all, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Emily, for talking about choosing to live with me. I watched this. I was excited to come on here and discuss it with you all. So I'm I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, thanks Notch, for bringing us. Yeah, of course. And uh, thank you also to Max, Dinah, uh, Rudy, and Bill who are out there. Uh, just a quick note, next week I will be recording with Bill from his place in California. So the episode Whoa. might be just a little bit late. It'll probably come out on Monday evening after I've returned to Minnesota and had a chance to edit. Um, but very much we're looking forward to recording with Bill in the same room. Um Thank you, dear listener, as always, for making time for us in your weekly podcast rotation. We always appreciate you you including us in there. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And special thanks to that, like, little species that could, that, you know, with latinum in their bodies, and they're like, oh, shit, we're at this new planet. We're finally arrived. And instead of just going straight to the planet, a few of us are going to give a little flyby to the people who saved us because that's more important. So special thanks to those guys. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you in a week. Goodbye. Bye.